in Second Chronicles 7.14, just a portion of the verse, and it might go in the form of a prayer. That is the verse that the Lord is actually directing His people toward. But I believe that we could turn it around a little bit uh, in a prayer that might be very re- relevant for the day in which we live. And that would be, Lord, would you heal our land? Would you heal our land? Now, there could be a great deal of discussion about what the problems are uh, that plague us uh, in our nation, in our country. But I think that we would all agree that we're in need of healing. That there's a great need of healing that needs to take place in the land in which we live. I can remember thinking when I was younger, even up until just a few years ago, that some of the things that we're seeing today, even about the persecution of Christians in America, I thought that might happen at some point someday. But I thought it would probably happen in the lifetime of Mathen and Jimmy John, not in, not in my lifetime. And there are things that are taking place even here in the United States. And I don't follow the news a whole lot. Um, Other people tell me about what they see. I watch it a little bit, maybe 20 minutes worth uh, all week. And so I don't follow a whole lot. I might read a few stories online. But there's a whole lot of things that are troubling and would cause fear and anxiety. And Christians should have a layer of comfort and confidence and protection that folks that don't have the Lord actually have. And so I hope the Lord will bless us to look at that here in just a minute. Lord, would you heal our land? Lord, um, it's in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. He says that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. So the right one that we should look to is the Lord for healing. And he says, then will I forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Certainly, uh, we look at all of the unrest that's around. People are, in some cases, afraid to go to the grocery store uh, because of the riots and all the things that are going on in the communities in which they live. People are afraid to go to the grocery store. They're afraid they're going to catch a deadly virus. And so fear grips them. Lord, would you heal our land? There's, there's riots and there's protests that are going on. And, and folks, just you just see the... Brother John preached to us last week about the depravity of man. And if you wonder about depravity, you can just look at uh, these folks that are just turned loose to destroy cities and destroy homes and to destroy lives. And you can witness that not only do we experience depravity in and of ourselves, but depravity is all around us. And we are in truly great need of the Lord healing our land. We look at at families and how that Satan uh, launches attacks on husbands and wives and how that uh, his attack is to destroy even even the family unit that God has established. And we need God to heal our land. 
We look at churches across the country. And churches are divided. Brother Don Richards wrote an excellent article in the Banner of Love. I encourage you to read it. But he talked about things that are dividing churches and even as silly as wearing masks or not. It's just amazing how that Satan, the bigger picture is that Satan gets his foot in the door to divide. And we should be on guard about it. We need the Lord to heal our land in the day in which we live. The other day I had a an appliance repairman, a young man that was working on an appliance and and he was inside and I was outside and I walked inside and I said, would you believe this? It's raining and the sun is shining at the same time. He said, I believe it. We're living in strange times. Well, we are living in strange times. Just this last week, someone sent me a link to a, uh, a lady that was at a ball game. I think of Brother Mark going to the soccer games and, and different ones that are involved in ball games around here. And this lady was in the bleachers at a ball game. And you may have seen that, but she was uh, not sitting by anybody at all. And this didn't happen in a foreign country. It happened in Ohio. And she was approached by the local officer and she was tased. And then she was arrested because she didn't have a mask on. And she explained that she was um, an asthma patient and couldn't wear the mask. And then Brother Andrew Huffman and I were talking about uh, an arrest that he witnessed. And he said it was at a church in Idaho where they were having an outdoor service. Folks spread apart outside singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And a husband and wife were arrested. And Brother Andrew said, you know, I told my children that we sing praise God from whom all blessings flow before our meals at mealtime. And he said, would you have ever imagined that we would be, that folks could be arrested outside for not wearing a mask. And then I was given the information by Elder Mike Rogers about uh, Pastor John MacArthur in California. California's a, 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 hot, a hot spot against religious persecution right now. And John MacArthur is a pastor of Grace Community Church. He's 81 years old. The congregation is above 2,000 members that attend the church there. And the local government has placed restrictions upon them, excessive fines upon them, and threatened to put them in jail. And John MacArthur used the verse in Hebrews and he Uh, referred to two different verses right here. You can Google all of this that I'm telling you and look at it more in detail. But he said in Hebrews, he said, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. He said, we have the God given right to assemble together and to worship the Lord. 
And if you look in, uh, in uh, the book of Acts, the apostle Peter was cast in jail. He was beaten in Acts chapter 5. And then he was told as he was let loose that he could go out and no longer preach in the name of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that it border it borders on some of the experiences that Peter and Paul experienced right here. And it says that uh, that as uh, uh, as Peter was released, that they instructed him and they said, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And he said, but ye fill Jerusalem with your doctrine. Can I just uh, not hold back and tell you that there's folks that, that hate the message of Jesus Christ. Now, they possibly will disguise it in a variety of ways. But ultimately, there are folks, Satan is working through folks to hinder the message of Jesus Christ. I didn't think I'd witness it in the life in which I lived, but I believe we're witnessing it right here. But I want you to look at how Peter responded right here. You can go and read about John MacArthur as well. 81-year-old pastor of Grace Community Church. Then Peter answered, and he said, and the other apostles said, he says, we ought to obey God rather than men. Did you know we're responsible and accountable to pray for those that are in positions of authority over us? We certainly are. I certainly don't agree with everything or every decision that's made by those that are in authority over us. But my responsibility is to pray for them no matter who it is that's in positions of authority. That's our responsibility to pray for them. But when it begins to infringe upon the rights that our forefathers recognized as God-given rights, then Peter said, my position is that I'm supposed to obey God rather than men. Now, that doesn't mean that we go around picking a fight and, and in an arrogant, uh, dogmatic manner. One of the traits of the children of God and Christians is that they're to walk humbly before the Lord. A lot of times the Lord fights our battles for us and we should be mindful of that and we should be praying about it. But Peter said we ought to obey God rather than men. They threatened John MacArthur with jail time. They've already fined them excessively. They had an agreement to allow for parking and that has been revoked. The parking lot's been removed from them. So they're trying to come out of, at them from every angle. And finally, John MacArthur said, if you're going to arrest me, just go right ahead and do it. He says, I've preached in all kinds of different settings. But he said, up to this point, I've not preached in prison. And he said, if you arrest me, then all that that means is that I'm going to have a prison ministry. Just like the Apostle Paul did. He said, when the Apostle Paul went to a city to proclaim the gospel, he didn't go to the nearest hotel and look at what his accommodations would be. He would go to the nearest jail because he knew that he probably would end up there for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know, I hope it doesn't come to that, but it's not far from it. It really isn't. This liberty that we have right here to be able to come together and worship the Lord, we shouldn't take it for granted.
Let me tell you, there may be a day that we don't have this liberty. We ought to, we ought to try to meet together and worship the Lord as best we can, as often as we can, because we may not have it. And I, 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 I hope that, I hope I'm wrong in that. I hope that I am. So, what, what can we do? What can we do? Well, the Lord doesn't leave us without instruction on what to do. He directs the message not to an ungodly world. In fact, we're taught that evil men and seducers, they don't just get better and better, but the scriptures say that they wax worse and worse. So we not only have scriptures to support it, but we have evidence to see it. That you turn man alone. If God releases some of the restraining grace that he has, man... And you and I included would go to the worst extent that we possibly could. If you have, I know we're sort of in a cashless society, maybe a cashless group. I don't know. Yesterday, I didn't have any cash in Washington, D.C. And I don't necessarily recommend that. but, um, But if you have any cash, you can open up and look at the bills that you have in your wallet. And they'll say... In God we trust. Did you know that if it wasn't for God's amazing and restraining grace upon this land in which we live, it'd be a whole lot worse. I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about it. I think we should be mindful. And there's some things that we can do. But I ultimately know this, that God's in charge. I know this, it'd be a whole lot worse if it wasn't for God. It'd be a whole lot worse if it wasn't for God's restraining grace. If you remember the experience that Job had, Satan wanted to destroy everything about Job. He wanted to destroy his Belongings. He wanted to destroy his family. He wanted to destroy his possession. He wanted to destroy his health. And then he wanted to destroy his life. Did you know that Satan hadn't really uh, gotten any better? He'd like to destroy your possessions. He'd like to destroy your liberties. He'd like to destroy your families. He'd like to destroy your health. And he'd like to destroy your life. But the reason that he couldn't destroy the life of Job is that God had put a hedge of protection around him. Now God has had undoubtedly a hedge of protection about this nation. When a minister that was well known, went out of the country uh, several years ago. And he preached in another country overseas for about seven or eight years. When he came back, you may have heard him preach it here. When he came back, he said that 
Uh, he saw a picture of the sun. And somebody asked him, regarding America, he said, is that a sun that's rising or is it a sun that's setting? God's had mercy on us. But God's not obligated to. He's had mercy upon us because He's God. And maybe because He's been touched by those that have attempted in some manner to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So what are some things that God's people are directed to do? Number one, the message is to God's people. It's not to the ungodly. They're not going to hear the message. They're sure not going to like the message. They're not going to change unless the Lord has touched their heart to change. But the message is to God's people. Paul preached the message. Peter preached the message. In Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones whacked old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into drought of summer. Have you ever experienced that? First of all, he says that our transgressions forgiven. He almost gives us the rest of the story in the first verse. But he says, it's not the Lord that puts iniquity upon us. The psalmist said, my bones waxed old through the roaring all the day. And he says, for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. Have you ever experienced the hand of the Lord being heavy upon your life? Why is the Lord's hand heavy upon us? It's generally to get our attention to bring about some necessary change. What is that? Let me just back up. Before the Lord's hand gets heavy on us, He gives us a few layers in our life. Sometimes He gives us some friends along the way that will give us some godly counsel to redirect us. Sometimes He gives us godly parents. Sometimes He gives us godly grandparents. Sometimes He gives us, as Camden has, some godly great-grandparents to give us some direction. To direct our path. Sometimes 
We see in God's Word where our thinking or our path or our travel needs to be adjusted. And we change it when we see God's Word. But when we read, when we've rejected God's Word, when we've rejected the counselors that God's given us, whether it's our parents, whether it's our friends, whether it's our brothers and sisters in the church, then sometimes the only way that God chooses to get our attention is when His hand becomes heavy on us. And a lot of times, when God's hand becomes heavy upon us, we know full well why His hand is heavy upon us. The psalmist says, I acknowledged that His hand was heavy upon me. And then he said, What happened? He said, I felt the hand of the Lord heavy upon my life, upon myself. And he said, then, he says, then I acknowledged my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity have I not hid. And I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. He said, I acknowledged my sin. Here it's said a little differently in Acts chapter 2. Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. This is a shorter version of what you just heard read in Psalm 32. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching and the Holy Spirit is blessing And Peter, Peter, as he's preaching, he says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and unto the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what is the message that Peter's bringing forth right here? It's a message of repentance. You say, what can I do? When we look around us and we see that we're in need of healing upon our land, we can, we can pray that God show us our own sins. Isn't it amazing how we see the sins of everybody else? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just so amazing. It seems so clear and so evident that we can see the faults and failures of others, but we don't see our own sin. I kind of liken pride kind of like this. This is how everybody else can see it, but we oftentimes can't see our own sin. You know, pride's something that can creep up on us. We don't even realize that we have it. Several years ago, I, uh, I went to buy a suit and I was standing in a three-way mirror. And when I did, I all of a sudden, 
I looked in one of those mirrors and when I looked at the back of the, of the jacket, I looked up and I saw I had a bald spot on the back of my head. It's the first time I ever realized that I, and I thought, well, how long have I had that? And then I thought, everybody's been going around seeing that I have that and it's very clear and obvious. And I thought, I was so depressed about, about it from that point on. It was something that everybody else could see, but I couldn't see it. I have a great barber I'm real thankful for, but one thing he does that I don't like is after he gives me a haircut, he has this great big mirror that he holds up in the back and, 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 and shows the back. And I thought, there's no benefit in seeing that. It, it just, you leave discouraged. Well, that's kind of how sin is and pride is. We can carry it around and we don't even know that we have the problem ourselves. Other people may see it. But we don't see it. And that's simply what repentance is. Maybe we've drifted from the upbringing that we had. Maybe we've begun to compromise the values that we were taught when we were young. Maybe we've begun to compromise God's word about what God's word has to say about our lives and about about marriage, for instance. Maybe we've begun to be influenced by the world to the point that we begin to compromise our own thinking. Maybe we've drifted and departed from the Lord. Maybe our commitment to the Lord and his service and to Jesus Christ takes second or third or fourth place in our life. If it is, then as Peter says, we're to repent. What does that mean? It means just what we read over in Psalms 31. That the psalmist said, I acknowledge my sin. Sister um, Gertrude Secor was a one of the last living members of the church in Warwick, New York. Beautiful old building sits in the middle of town. Beautiful white building, large steeple with a bell tower on it. She said, when I was a little girl, she said, I can remember we'd have what they referred to on Saturday evening as covenant meetings. And she said, we'd go from one home to another. And she said, on Saturday nights, we'd have fellowship and we'd have singing. And she said, then folks would begin to share the struggles that they had and what they'd been dealing with in their own life. And she says, they would acknowledge their sins before God. And she says, we had times of great rejoicing in those experiences. <clears throat> you know, we've, we've become pretty well uh, numb to a lot of things. Maybe there's a time for us to ask that God would show us our own sins and then repent. What does repent mean? It means acknowledging our sin. It means turning from our sin. It means following after the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have your hopes and your druthers about who's going to win in these elections. I encourage you to vote. And that's a different angle here that we'll talk about. But I want to tell you, if this land is going to be healed... If this land is going to be healed, it's not going to be a particular individual. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ intervening and changing lives. 
It's going to be the Lord convicting us of our sin and blessing us to repent and restoring unto us the joy of our salvation. Let me just ask you. Most of you can think back. Mike and Katie don't have to think too far back. But most of you can think back about when you were first baptized. You can think back about when you first had a relationship with the Lord and how happy that you were. Do you know that Satan wants to carve away at that? One of the great tactics that's used today is fear. I mean, when you go to the hospital, they have a chart about a pain chart. Anybody ever... I mean, I don't know why they do it, but they do it with little smiley faces. I mean, a pain chart with a smiley face. And you're supposed to check the one that describes you the best and from 1 to 10... And I remember when I was dealing with the kidney stones, I thought, where is 11 and 12 on here? <laughs> but the, I couldn't identify with the little smiley face. But, but I wonder if folks were given a questionnaire today of, about a chart like that for fear. wonder where that would land. I had a boss one time that he motivated us by fear. Very young. And I thought that's how you motivate people. Oh. Did you know that God is not the author of that? He's not. In fact, a familiar psalm that that everybody knows in Psalm 23, David said, I fear no evil. Why did he not fear? Because he knew that the Lord was with him and that the Lord was in charge. So number one, what is it that that we can do? The first thing that we can do is go before the Lord and say, Lord, would you show me my sins and would you bless me with a heart of repentance? And would you forgive me of where I've gone astray? Would you forgive me where my thinking gets off? Usually our sins, generally they're in the mind. They start in the mind. And sometimes then, if we don't hold it there, it manifests itself through the mouth. And then if we don't restrain it there, it manifests itself through our actions. So it has several ways that it manifests itself. We need to go right to the core of the problem and say, Lord, would you bless me with the heart of repentance? And would you draw me near to you? Now... Let me just share this. I didn't grow up hearing or preaching repentance. And the reason I didn't is because in an earlier upbringing in a different denomination, I was taught that in order to secure my home in heaven, that repentance on my part was required. First of all, we're not going to have a heart to repent unless our heart's been changed. We don't repent and then get our heart changed. The Lord is the one that touches our heart 
gives us a heart to love him before we can even realize that we need repentance. We don't know how bad we are until God blesses us with a heart and an understanding to see it. And he says in Hebrews chapter 8, he says, I'm the one that writes it in their hearts and in their minds. And he says, I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. So rather than drift into the camp of thinking that we had to repent in order to secure our home in heaven, repentance wasn't preached in circles that I worshipped. But as you read the scripture, over and over and over, the scriptures address our sin problem by preaching and bringing the message of change, of acknowledging our sin before God and asking God to heal us. So the first thing that we do is pray that God show us our sin. And then when he does, we'll ask that he heal heal us. The second thing that we do, and I think this is probably even more important. This was very apparent yesterday. By the way, this was a side note. But I thought it was interesting and worthy of noting. The folks that I witnessed yesterday, it was a peaceful gathering. There were a whole lot of police that were around. And about every, I was standing by a group that police were were gathered around. And about every minute or more often than that, people would walk by and they would tell the policemen how thankful they were for what they're doing. And they'd say, we're praying for you. And we want you to know that we appreciate you. I thought that has to be huge for those folks. So you may hear different reports, but I saw that firsthand. And it was humbling to see. Luke chapter 18. What's the second thing that we can do? The second thing that we do is pray. Let me say it this way. Pray your heart out. I'm telling you, pray for our country. Pray for our president. Pray for our families. Pray for our churches. Pray that God would have mercy upon us. In Luke chapter 18, he tells us what the purpose of this little story is right here. He tells us in the beginning, I like that, and as we read it, we see that it supports what he says right here. He says that Jesus Christ spake a parable unto them to this end. And he says, here is the purpose of this little story, of this little parable right here. He says, the purpose of this story is that men, men representing men or women, boys and girls, grandmas and grandpas, all folks in general. He says the purpose of this story is that men ought always to pray. You ever get disheartened disheartened to the point that you think maybe God is not hearing my prayer. Or maybe God is so busy with other folks that he doesn't have time for my prayer. 
Or maybe my need is so small and insignificant that God's not going to take notice of it right here. He says right here, the purpose of this little story right here, this little lesson, is that men ought always to pray. And then he tells us why we ought to pray. He says men ought always to pray. And he says, and by the way, not to faint. You have any burdens in your life that are so overwhelming that they they weigh down upon you so much that you almost want to just pitch in the towel? That you get discouraged along the way? Well, this little lesson is to help you keep from getting discouraged or overcome with distraught and fear along the way. He said there was in a city a judge. Now, this judge was not a God-fearing judge. This judge was not a God-honoring judge. Uh, there, we've, we've witnessed in the day in which we live that there are some judges that are God-fearing judges, and there are some judges that don't fear God. I mean, has anybody seen that? It's very, very apparent. Well, here's an example of it in Luke chapter 18. So you would think that an, uh, uh, a judge that didn't fear God would not even rule on your behalf have or your best interest. But look what happens right here. He says there was a judge. He didn't fear God. Not only did he not fear God, but he didn't regard man. Now, really and truly, I, if I have to go up before a judge, I hope that I get somebody that regards man a little bit and regards God a whole lot. But this little lady, it says that this widow she came to him and, say, and said to the judge, avenge me of mine adversary. And it says that he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, and he even acknowledged this right here. I mean, it's one thing for him to cover it up. It's another thing for him to just out blatantly acknowledge. This judge said, he said, I'm not going to avenge her. I'm not going to deliver her from her adversary. And then he said in verse four, he says, I'll not do it. But he said, though I fear not God, nor do I regard man. He says, yet because this widow troubleth me, I'll avenge her by her continual coming. She weary me. Says he didn't regard man. He didn't regard God. He didn't regard the woman. He didn't regard her situation. And he was not going to deliver. But the judge, this natural judge, said, I'm going to deliver her request because of her continual coming. What does that mean? It means we're to go before the Lord, not just once, not just twice, but we're to continue going before the Lord and pleading our case and asking God to intervene. Just because God hadn't intervened in our land the way that we think he should doesn't mean that he's not going to. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go before him and ask on our behalf. One of the things that blessed me yesterday, I mean, to see all the people that were gathered together for the sole purpose of seeking God's will and God's deliverance in our land. At one point, Franklin Graham, I I had the blessing of hearing his father preach way back in 1976. I took my grandparents to um, uh, one of the Billy Graham crusades and um, it, it was a long time ago. But he would go to different spots, the Lincoln Memorial, the Vietnam Memorial. And then before he would pray or he'd call on folks to pray, he would announce to the folks however many there were, 20, 30, 40, 50,000, 100,000, however many there were, 
he'd say, I'm going to ask you all to pray out loud at this time for our land. Now, you couldn't make out what any one individual person was praying. But I tell you, it was moving to hear thousands of people praying out loud at the same time for God to have mercy upon our land. I believe that God hears those prayers. I believe He heard those prayers. And then He would conclude by calling on Oliver North or different ones to lead in prayer. Well, here, here's the bottom line to the story. He says, this is the bottom line to this little story. Great little story here. He says, and shall not God, putting his place in place of this unjust judge, shall not God, here's the lesson, avenge, that means deliver, that means help us, that means intercede. He says, and shall not God avenge, help, deliver, intercede, his own elect. Who's it written to? It's written to the child of God. He says, How, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry unto him night, which cry unto him day and night, though he bear long with them. He says, I love this right here. This is Jesus Christ delivering the message. He said, the lesson is, we're to pray, we're to pray, we're to pray. We're not to faint, we're not to give up. We're not, even if things don't go the way we think they should, on our time frame, I tell you, God's still in charge, and God's still on the throne. And he says right here, here's Christ. Here's Jesus Christ delivering this message. He says, I tell you that he, that's the Lord, will avenge, that's deliver, intercede. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Now, that's the bottom line to it. That God knows our need. And he delights to deliver his own people. One more. In, um, in James. James chapter 5. This addresses, this addresses um, um, repentance and prayer. James chapter 5. It says, confess your faults one to another. Well, let me just back up a little bit. Is there any among you that's afflicted? Let him pray. Any Mary? Let him sing psalms. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be what? Healed. We're asking the Lord to heal our land. We're asking the Lord to heal our families. We're asking the Lord to heal our churches. We're asking the Lord to heal our own individual lives. And he says right here, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that the that ye may be healed. And he says, then this is the next portion, the effectual fervent prayer 
of a righteous man availeth much. There's many, there's more things that, that we can do, but the first two that are priority in our life is to pray and ask God to bless us to see our sins and bless us with forgiveness and repentance and a turning in our life. Now, Colossians chapter 3 ends it on a positive note. If God blesses us to repent, draw nigh to Him, and He draws nigh to us. If God blesses us to pray in begging for our nation, begging for our churches, begging for our families and our own lives, then we don't have any reason. We still live in this ungodly world. I mean, I'm looking for the day. Brother Mike Rogers says, he says, I just can't wait until the Lord comes back to take us home. We're looking for the day until the Lord takes us home. But until then, as Christians, as believers, we don't have to be motivated by fear. We don't have to be overcome with fear. Because we have one that handles those battles for us. And he can handle them a whole lot better than what we can. And here's some encouraging words right here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, you, you definitely are, or you wouldn't have a desire to be here today. Brother Mark, when he prays oftentimes, he says, thank you, Lord, for putting it in my heart to have a desire to worship. Well, that's an evidence that you've been risen with Christ if you have a desire to worship the Lord. And he says, if you're risen with Christ, putting it in a category, if you've been risen with Christ, he said, seek those things which are above. If you're seeking the things of this world, now it doesn't mean that we don't go to work. It doesn't mean that we don't fulfill our jobs. It doesn't mean that we don't provide for our families. But he's saying, don't be overcome thinking about the things on this earth. It's going to get you way down. It's going to get you really discouraged, real disappointed. But he says, seek those things which are above, where Christ setteth on the right hand of God. And then verse 2 says, set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. It's when we set our thoughts and our affections and we get obsessed and consumed with the things of this earth that's around us. That we get super discouraged. But I tell you what. When you're thinking on the Lord. When you're thinking on the Lord. There's not anything about that that's discouraging. The only thing discouraging about that is to see where we've missed our own mark. I mean you, you wish. I mean I don't know about you. But looking back. I, I wish I could have done better. I can't go back. But that's the only thing that's discouraging about that. But when we're thinking on the Lord. We're not overcome with fear because we know he's got it in control. Doesn't mean we live reckless lives at all. But it means that we acknowledge that we have a sovereign God. That he's in control of this universe. There's not a single thing that happens that's outside of his knowledge. God either causes or allows. I don't believe God causes everything. But God either causes or allows. It means God's in charge. God's in control. 
Well, I have to tell you, I'm thankful to know that God is in control. He says we're to set our thoughts on things above. There's nothing discouraging about that. There's nothing fearful about that. We respect and revere an awesome God. But we don't fear this world because we know who's in charge. And we know the end. I, I'm sure some of these young folks have never even heard of Paul Harvey. But I enjoyed Paul Harvey, the father Paul Harvey. And not the son, I mean, he's alright. But the father, Paul Harvey, used to say, and now you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is where we're going to end up and how that price has been paid. And we're to think on those things. And it'll encourage us when we do. May God heal our land. It has to come from Him. May He heal our families. May He heal our churches. May He heal our own lives. May God bless you.